What's the hippie halves, my creepy craps? You're very welcome back to Pontification. I'm Chase Nova, and with me as always is my good pal... The leader. The leader. Oh, I like the leader. Thank you. We surrender our wills as of this date. Mm-hmm. That's me. Okay, okay. This is Emma Walsh Hackett, by the way. Um, I've decided to just start introducing you after your name, so people can give you credit <laughs> for the great work you're doing. I mean, if I wanted credit, I wouldn't have taken up with renaming myself once a week. I go under a fake name every time, but the problem is now more people know me by my fake name, so it doesn't matter anymore. I keep forgetting that you have a name that's not Chase Nova. I know, it's terrifying. Um, but before we go on, how was your week? How are you getting on? Um, yeah, I'm grand. Yeah? I've been busy. I haven't gotten a lot done. We put out some new music. I yeah. Do you want to do some promo while you're on this? Do you want to say what the, the band is and the song and all that? Uh, the band is called Fox Boy And. Fox like a fox, yep. boy like a boy, and like an and. That's it. Yep. That's all you need to know. Um, yeah, so I've, I've been up to my eyes with that. Cool. How was cool. your week? My week was good. Study, not as much music as I'd like, and a lot of prep work for this podcast, actually. More than usual. Um, really? That's intimidating. I know, I know. I know. Well, I think when you're dealing with a, a subject as sensitive that so many people on earth will be offended by like <laughs> aliens, you, you have to, uh, you have to be careful. And that was our big reveal for the week. Yeah. Yeah. We're doing aliens. Yeah. The part of the podcast where we pretend that people haven't had to click into the episode title, which is my favorite <laughs> part exactly. actually. It is. It's, it's, it's like a, a postmodern interpretation of the murder mystery because there's no murder and the mystery is like, just sort of pretend. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but before we carry on, it's it's very important that we do our sponsors because those we're not getting paid. Do you mm-hmm. mind if we do the sponsors, Emma? Is that cool? Please proceed. Let's get that money, yo. This week, Pontification is brought to you by the international campaign to end bacon medallions. Are you the kind of person that likes bacon to be delicious and whole? Are you sick of accidentally buying bacon medallions and suffering through what is essentially a slice of ham with your eggs? <laughs> Sign up now at disappointingfailureham.ie and we can start the healing process together. That sponsor is just incorrect. Medallions are objectively better. No, they're not. Oh, did we just lose our entire income? Ne- never mind. Move on. <laughs> anyway, just to remind everyone, that website is disappointingfailureham.ie. <laughs> Poncification is brought to you by Hangovers. As much as we all like a drink, we all hate a hangover. But just imagine. Imagine a world in which we were capable of drinking with no repercussions. See? It's not nice, is it? Hangovers. You may hate us, but you need us. <laughs> Pontification this week is also brought to you by Nagging. Have you a son or daughter that hasn't lived up to the expectations you had for them? Maybe you have a friend who hasn't taken more than one hour to respond to a text. You need nagging. It's so simple to use. Daughter not married yet? Nag. Son not getting good grades in school? Nag. Go ahead. Try it today. Nag. 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 (laughs) And finally, Pontification is brought to you by the indulgence in your own madness. Being confronted by the complexities and intricacies of our terrifying world is not only horrifying, but often crippling. Sometimes it's best to indulge in your insanity and madness in the interest of your own survival. So go scream at the pigeons, get naked with some pasta, lick the neighbor's cat, and smell the lamppost. You owe yourself this, so just do it. Come on, go ahead. Make tea for the houseplants. Bake scones with the fridge ghost. Laugh in the mirror. (laughs) Hell, Cuddle the mirror. Do what you need to do to just keep going. (laughs) 
I went full Kylie Jenner on this one. This has gone beyond a sponsorship and it's now product placement because I've been embracing my madness oh, for some time now. Well, in fairness, we wouldn't have done that if it wasn't for the, the free madness they sent us as a, as a care package to get to get into character, which has been nice. Which, I gotta be honest, the unboxing, like, I was kind of uncomfortable at first, but once I took it out of the box, I was like, oh yeah, this is a good time. I'm having a good time. Oh, yeah, madness very much functions on a Pandora level, as far as I can tell. <laughs> once it's out, you're like, oh, this is fine. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so this week we're talking about aliens. And I wanted to sort of say, first of all, as the hard-hitting question, do you believe in aliens, Emma? Oh, um... Do I believe in, like, little green men? No. Not specifically that, but just but life on I, other planets. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it would be entirely just arrogant of me not to, wouldn't it? Yeah, you know, well, I don't know if it would be arrogant. I mean, the way I look at it when I was asked before was I kind of think of it in the same way that I'm an atheist. Like, I'm an atheist, but if fucking God shows up, I'll be like, yeah, cool, God's here. And then I've learned a lesson. But in the same way, like, I, I accept that aliens are possible. Mm. But, you know, I haven't seen enough evidence for me to go, oh yeah, aliens. I feel like the word for that is agnosticism. Is it? I feel like agnosticism is not being sure, whereas like atheism is saying, oh, I'm pretty sure there isn't. But if it shows up, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're alienostic. I'm alienostic? Yeah, I think so. I'm, I'm okay with that. It could very well be. And actually, I was going to say that um, in, in line with the whole do you believe in aliens thing, we're not the first people to ever ask that question to each other in a casual conversation we're also by no means the smartest people ever to say we might be the dumbest people ever to have this conversation except for a hollywood movie executive so here's a wild one i actually Uh for for the first time i did i sat down and i listened to a podcast Uh this week in preparation for our podcast, this, I tell a lie, I listened to two, in preparation for our podcast this week, both about aliens, and one was just really bad. I'm not going to name it because it was horrible. It was just really, really bad. The audio was bad and they were so just unprepared and you could hear them typing, Googling things as oh, they talked. I mean, like, uh, say what you want about us. At least we, like, look it up and research before. And I actually practiced some of those sponsors earlier. Like, <laughs> Ooh, I am impressed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right before I cuddled the mirror. But the problem um, is, the other one, the other one was brilliant. Well, we're we're kind of more we're pontificating about it. That's what we do. We specialize in that. That's so it. I kind of attacked the research from like a few angles, which was that like one, do I think aliens exist? And the answer was maybe. And then there was two, like what form could they take? And then I kind of wanted to more instead of looking into instances of alien invasions and abductions on Earth, I wanted to look into like you know scientists who have questioned the existence before. Mm-hmm. And I managed to come up with uh, something called Fermi's Paradox. Now, you have heard of this, Emma, as far as I know. Yeah. Um, and how would you describe it in your own words? Um, okay, so to my understanding, at least, Fermi's Paradox basically is the idea that if aliens are out there, then they're not going to bother with us. Kinda. Yeah, I think you have it kind of backwards, but that's kind of what would be like a, a sort of discussion to the level understanding of it so it, it mm. kind of comes from a few things so uh it can be kind of summarized in this sentence which is how come we haven't seen evidence of aliens considering how highly probable it is that they exist though that's what the paradox is at this point i would like to point out that as far as i know they also haven't seen evidence of us uh well, they might we're have. not out here making contact okay well We've they, they could stuff. be observers yeah 
the, well, I'll, I'll get into that in a second because it is okay. kind of important. But a little bit of background. It's named after the Italian-American physicist named Enrico Fermi. Mm. Um, and though he wasn't the first to talk about the idea, um, they kind of gave his name to it just because of how funny it was uh, when it came up. So he was out to lunch working in a laboratory in America with some other physicists. There's Edward Teller, Herbert York, and Emil Konopinski. And while he was working with them, they're on the way home talking about UFO reports, faster than light travel, the idea of aliens existing. And he literally went, so where is everybody? Yeah. And so it was just him being a dick at lunchtime is why he got this entire philosophical <laughs> school of thought named after him. Well, where is everybody then? Um, and the thing is, is that the idea that aliens is out there really, really likely. It's, 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 yeah. it's, it's unbelievable. The balance of probability is, is, is huge. Um, and here's some of the assumptions that lead to the paradox. So the idea is there's billions of stars in our galaxy, the Milky Way, uh, that are similar to the sun. Mm-hmm. Um, with high probability, quite a lot of these stars are Earth-like planets. So there's, there's definitely the same sort of conditions for life that we met when we evolved as a species. Uh, many of these stars, and hence their planets, are older than our sun. Um, so if the Earth is typical, some may have developed intelligent life quite a long time ago. Um, some of these civilizations may have developed interstellar travel, um, a step that we're currently working on. You yep. know, we're still working on that at the moment. Um, and even at the slow pace of currently envisioned interstellar travel, the Milky Way galaxy around us could easily be traversed by us in, in a couple of million years. We could easily accomplish that, provided, you know, the planet survives and all that. But I we'll mean, yeah, that assuming our current yeah. trajectory and some improvements, yeah. Yeah, could easily happen. Um, since many of the stars similar to the sun are billions of years older, the Earth could have already been visited by extraterrestrial civilizations, or at least their probes. Mm-hmm. And however, there's almost no convincing evidence that this has happened. So it's just, it's considered odd. Which, actually, I, I went the opposite way about this. And I, uh, I delved into some of the blogs of people who firmly do believe that that has happened. Okay. And... Honestly, it just, I kind of went into this being a little bit alienostic. And this has just <laughs> reaffirmed for me so hard the more accounts of, the more like self accounts of alien abduction I come across, the more I just go, this is nonsense. Like, this makes <laughs> no fucking sense. But yeah, it's, it's funny how you never meet someone who was abducted by aliens that seems like a perfectly rational person. <laughs> this is the problem, though. So a lot of people yeah. who claim to have been abducted by aliens, like generally, you know, they, they tend to do get some kind of psychiatric evaluation afterwards. Yeah. Um, and so this is terrible. I can't remember the person's name, but basically some highly accomplished professor of psychiatry in the US concluded that you would expect people who claim they've been abducted by aliens to be a bit mad or a bit insane, and generally speaking, they aren't. Really? Yeah, by and large, they tend to have some variations from, like, neurotypical, average psych, uh, average psyche, whatever, but by and large, they're not mental-like. These people just firmly believe this thing has happened, and it's very rare to be able to actually diagnose them or institutionalize them or whatever it is that I can think the public commonly assumes is necessary. Well, yeah, it does also beg the question, like, I mean, if that's what someone irrational believes, then, and if we're going to call that a mental illness, mm. do we also call, like, the same people who think that, like, you know, QAnon is real, are they mentally ill or are they just... Exactly. You know? It depends on our definition, and we did get into this a little bit in the mental illness episode, so we shouldn't push we, too much further. Yeah, into let's it. let's not 
go into personal realities again. Let's let's get done with for you and get back to for me in Fermi's <laughs> paradox. Uh, so basically, this guy asked this question. He didn't do too much research into it as a physicist himself. It was mm. kind of just like something he thought on. He wrote a little bit about. But what's happened afterwards is once the question came up, quite a lot of like very intelligent academic people sort of went in all sorts of disciplines. They just sort of went, oh, that's a good point. Why haven't yeah. we? Um, and what kind of happened was they developed uh, a sort of theoretical scientific definition of what um, both the future human race might look like and what other races might look like. Um, and they devised this thing called the Kardashev scale. Mm-hmm. So it's the Kardashev scale is made up of three parts. So there's one thing is called a type one civilization, which is a planetary civilization, which is a uh, civilization that can use and store all of the energy available on this planet. We're not even there yet. No. That's stage one. We're not even there yet. We're, 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 we're getting better with the whole electricity wind, but we're currently harnessing energy that exists on this planet millions of years ago in the form of fossil fuels. Yeah. Okay, so we have our sustainable aliens. Yeah. What I assume type two is coming. I assume it works like diabetes. <laughs> yeah, except is there a type three diabetes? <laughs> don't, I, I don't know. Triabetes. <laughs> oh, uh, all the diabetics are currently <laughs> tapping away to bad emails at pontification. <laughs> I can't wait to read every single one of them. I won't. <laughs> uh, a type 2 civilization is also called a stellar civilization. So they can mm. use and control the energy at the scale of a planetary system. So that would be like mm. if we were able to harness all the energy within our eight-planet solar system. Yeah. Um, which includes harnessing the energy of a sun, by the way, which is... I mean, at that point, you're into sci-fi levels. Like, that's, that's Doctor Who territory. I mean, are we kind of already harnessing the energy of the sun? Well, yeah, but we're talking about like, harnessing very the entire. Well. Yeah, we're we're if if harnessing the energy of the sun is defined as what we're doing, then driving a car is akin to being asleep in the boot. <laughs> That's the way I put it. Okay, okay, uh, but we are touching on it. To be fair, we're getting there. Yeah, we, we've got the the initial stages of the science, and we could get there in a hundred years. Far be it from me Who to knows? big up my own species too much, but. Yeah, listen, that's the whole thing about this, is you have to kind of look at the human race as being pretty fallible when you look at this sort of stuff, you know? Yeah, just suspend that human chauvinism for a moment. Yes, exactly. Mm. Uh, And finally, a Type 3 civilization is a galactic civilization. They can control energy at the scale of an entire host galaxy. That would be us controlling the Milky Way. Woof. Uh, So yeah, that's a big one. So yeah, planetary, Type 1, stellar, Type 2, and galactic civilization, Part 3. Um. So what's interesting Wait, does that then not is, make us like a not point five? We're we're probably a point six or seven, I would say. We're, we're almost a type. There's one. that human chauvinism again, but I, I, you know, there's a little bit of argument because I'm like, do you know what? If this theory is correct, and there were loads of other races out there, a lot of them didn't make it, and one of the reasons is because they haven't got as far as us. So there's a little bit of arrogance Which, there. Yeah. It's, so it's like when I, when I tell my dog to sit and she sits and I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm the boss in this house. <laughs> For all we know, we're the planetary dogs to some alien owner telling us to sit and stay put. That's the way I've always pictured it. I've always pictured us and aliens as like weird The Sims. And they're like, oh, oh. look, it threw up on its belly. You know. <laughs> well, in that case, the guy playing my game must be really, really bored and wondering why I keep getting stuck in the bath. <laughs> um, 
There was so yeah. So what's interesting about Fermi's paradox is that after he came up with just the idea of the the sort of oxymoronical nature, there mm. are so many evidence. That there's so much probability of aliens out there. Why aren't they? A tons of school of academic thought tried to propose ideas and answers to this theory. Um, so there's a few simple ones. One of the ones from um, like mostly scientific communities would mm-hmm. be that life is rare. Um, that the actual conditions needed to nurture the evolution of biological complexity might actually just be unique to us. We are just in the right spot, the exact correct distance from a sun for that to happen. Um, Now, they also theorize there may be cellular life on other worlds. I mean, we're looking at water on Mars and other things. Uh, But the chances of it becoming intelligent uh, life is just so against the odds that maybe it doesn't happen. Uh, There was a writer uh, who wrote a book called Wonderful Life in 1989, Stephen Jay Gould, and he suggested that if the tape of life was round to the time of the Cambrian explosion and one or two tweaks were made, human beings would probably have never existed. And we're talking like literally a plant getting knocked over. Could have been enough. I mean, yeah, that's, that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. Yep. A giant cosmic flick. But that's just one of them. Um, one that's more upsetting, which is proposed by quite a few uh, scientists, is that um, other races, they may have existed, but they go extinct just by natural events. Uh, so, like, new life on other planets might die out due to runaway heating or cooling on their fledgling planets. There have been five mass extinction events on Earth so far, and we happen to have come into existence after all of them. But, I mean, I, I know that you tend to feel this way often, and I feel this way pretty much all the time. That's inevitably going to happen again. Like, hopefully not in my lifetime, but maybe in my lifetime. Well, it, it raises a sort of other philosophical question. Is like, if it's coming and we can predict it, can we stop it? And the answer is, yeah, probably. Yeah. We don't know what our next sure. one is, but it could very well happen. Yep. Um, they talk about weirder ones, and especially because a natural disaster doesn't have to be like a big solar level event, mm. like a, a gamma ray or something. It could be something as simple as like a volcano erupting. So if you picture the way human beings were millions of years ago, mm-hmm. and you have like, you know, tiny little uh, flocks of us here and then, yeah. we obviously started in one place. If there was one volcano eruption, that's the species ended. Oh, God. It doesn't even have to be a huge event. It could, e- could even be a dam broke its banks and killed the first 400 humans. And that's us done. I've never pictured it in those terms. Oh, it's now I feel kind of it. bad for the extinct aliens who I'm still not convinced exist. Oh, jeez. <laughs> we'll get to them. We'll get to, we'll get to them. Don't worry. They've got plenty of lovely things coming their way. Uh, so some philosophers and evolutionary biologists believe that it is the nature of intelligent life to destroy itself or others. And this is this is one of the darker ones because like, no, no, people, any sort of living thing, bad. It's very cynical. <laughs> okay. Let me strap on my misanthropy. Okay. A great proponent of this was actually Stephen Hawking. Oh. Um, yeah, he theorized that aggression and anger is an evolutionary trait. Obviously, mm-hmm. that we evolved to you know, compete and fight and get resources and win. We've evolved yeah. that. Um, but that it can be unlearned through brain-computer interfaces that enhance human intelligence. Um, at this point, we've developed the interfaces. I don't mm-hmm. know whether it's enhancing our intelligence, but if it was used correctly, perhaps it could be. I mean, yeah. I can see that. The only thing is, I question whether we would actually come to that usage considering the brains we have now? I think it depends. I mean, it's, 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 it's whether you can regulate um, internet usage to be productive for a species rather than to be about making someone money, for example. Ah, capitalism to blame. That's our capitalism card for the podcast used in the first, what, 20 minutes? I thought we got three. We get three. That's card one. Okay, good. 
If there's one uh, per week, then I quit. I can't do it. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Hell, you know, when, when you're leading the podcast, we normally make it five, just to be sure. Safety, um, yep. Worth doing. Uh, so he said that without this technological intervention, without the invention of these brain-computer interfaces that enhance human intelligence, other civilizations may have simply died out because of war. They just killed each yeah. other because they were too busy fighting over resources. Um, and we came pretty close to that. I was just going to say, it's another one that I think I can relate to as a human. Hmm. Well, the Cold War. I yeah. mean, we came very close to having a world completely destroyed by that. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is another cool thing because because of how vast this question is and how many different schools of academic thought it can be brought into, there are a few like extra um, philosophical terms that evolve from it. And one of them is called the Great Filter. You heard of that? No. Tell me. <clears throat> so in the context of Fermi's paradox, the great filter is whatever prevents dead matter giving rise in time to expanding, lasting life. So scientifically, just to get the jargon out of the way, the most commonly agreed upon low probability event is abiogenesis, a gradual process of increasing complexity of the first self-replicating molecules by randomly occurring chemical processes. So that would be, you know, mitosis expanding and then the cells suddenly becoming more complex and bonding with other cells and then eventually yeah. creating what we are as people. Mm-hmm. But the Great Filter then takes on a, a sort of much, uh, a much bigger sort of idea because it's theorized that say if all these things must have existed, if the probability is so high about all these other races existed, then maybe there is actually a Great Filter by which a race must pass in order to survive. And some of them are kind of weird. Do you get me? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. So that there must be a task that we have to commit to order by, like mastering interstellar travel or. Mm achieving planetary energy efficiency or maybe that filter is way earlier on maybe it's um in like a species developmental process maybe it's learning how to use tools um but for whatever reason there's a filter that many species don't get through and that's why we haven't heard from anyone else that's the idea of the great filter i would argue that this is more than a theory i'm going to start treating it as a hypothesis i think we should put this to the test i think we should develop interstellar travel go out there and host the olympics the Olympics. The yeah. Survival Olympics. Like, well, let's hang do on. it. Let me get through this because there are other schools of thought. That's one idea. I think the Great Field is a good one because it makes a lot of sense. It's the idea that, like, um, a bunch of races never learned to walk or they, they, you know, at the very earlier stage, they cells never learned to divide and become mm-hmm. more complex and bomb with other cells. And that's a way we look at why there isn't many other people there. Economists have simply stated that it isn't economically feasible to explore or transmit into space. Oh, and God. that's why we don't hear from other species. Of course they did. Well, no, think back, because there is a level of truth to it. There was outrage at Richard Nixon for the moon landing. Yeah. The mission. He spent so much money. And there's like art and poetry, uh, like Gil Scott Heroin's Whitey on the Moon thing. You ever hear that one? No. He's, he's talking about how uh, his sister just got bit by a rat in her apartment and his landlord up his rent and everything shit for people on Earth. But mm-hmm. hey, Whitey's on the moon. That's his whole point. Okay. Because it's true. Taxpayer yeah. money was going to funding this mission that was considered pointless by like a lot of people. Okay, but have we not established now in the future that it's not that pointless and we're going to keep working on this and it is like a goal. And it is a goal that we have for ourselves as a species. Again, it's a thing I believe, but maybe other people don't. Maybe other people think there's further problems we have to solve here before we do that. Oh, I thought we were all know? super into colonizing Mars now. Uh, no, a few of the billionaires are, as far as I can tell. Like you, me, and Elon Musk, yeah. (laughs) We're all, the three of us are going to go colonize Mars and grow moonweed. 
It's gonna be in great. our remake of You, Me, and Dupree. It's going to be You, Me, and Elon Musk. It's going to be great. <laughs> um, oh, on a darker note, actually, which I think is really interesting, it could be that within the Great Filter narrative that we haven't made it past the Great Filter yet. That's kind of where I assumed that was going. That we are deficient in some way, and you know, eventually we'll just wipe ourselves out. Well, it could very well happen. I mean, people, that's the thing is there's such a debate about this and it's such a hypothetical concept that like it's hard to pinpoint it to one thing. It could be yeah. cells, it could be interstellar travel, could be that we're not through it yet and maybe we haven't heard anything yet. Um, zoological experts, and I personally, like, I don't really believe this, but I think this is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, so they think that maybe races, races and species function in the same way that individual species do on Earth. Like, there could be a, uh, what do they call it, a food pyramid within the universe. Yeah. So that there may be predator races, and there may be prey species. And maybe the Great Filter could actually be um, the point where you find out which one of those species you are. Are you following me? Yeah. That's, honestly, that's really grim. But it's also, I think it's worth pointing out, it is the basis for a lot of modern science fiction, isn't it? Kind of. Well, yeah, to a certain extent in the idea. I don't want to go too far down the science fiction route because we're, yeah. we're talking about what is um, sort of theoretical science anyway. I it's mean, not necessarily fiction. Yeah. Um, but so imagine there's a predator race that essentially they're far more advanced than us. They've mastered, they're a type three civilization, for example, on the Kardashev scale. And they're just like so ahead of us. And what they do is they wait until we've achieved a level where we can produce a certain amount of energy or control amount of energy. Mm-hmm. And then because they're predatory, they just fly by and suck up the earth and all of its resources and all of its energy and all of us. Which is probably what I would do. But yeah, no, you know what? <laughs> this is why you wait by your neighbors waiting for them to get their groceries so you can go and rob their cars. Actually, it's Wi-Fi, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's exactly the idea. There, there could be yeah. interplanetary Wi-Fi sneak thieves. Yeah, you just park at someone's front gate and, you know. Um, I'm, I'm not really with that one. I'm not with it. I don't believe it, but it's, yeah. a, it's a cool idea. Well, the other part of it is that maybe we're going to be the predator race. Okay, I'm definitely not with that. Have you met us well, yeah, we destroy everything. We've killed enough species to be able to think we could do it maybe on a galactic level. I have two words for you, my dear. Uh-huh. Fair city. Yeah. A masterpiece of soap opera you television. You think the species who enjoy fair city are going to go out there and just conquer multiple solar systems? Well, I mean, the Romans used to wash their clothes with piss and they accomplished quite a lot. <sighs> Okay, but where are they now, Chase? Where are they now? They fell, but we've learned from their mistakes, haven't we? Please tell me we have. Fair City. Do you watch Still Fair exists. City? Fair it's thriving. It's on every day, but it, I think. For me, it's, it's a possibility, because say if we were to become the first race, say we do actually accomplish all these hypothetical things and we mm. make it up there, and we do manage to harness the energy of our, our galaxy then like there's every chance that what you get in the same way is the same situation that's happened on earth which is like large booming countries who then go and pillage and plunder the other ones nearby i mean it makes sense but okay so again i obviously i've been reading about this all week and i can't stop coming back to the same conclusion i had about colonizing the ocean which is mm-hmm. i think we the humans like will get out there and we'll discover life on other planets or whatever and we'll just eat it 
we're just going to eat it. We're just going to come across these like moon dogs, whatever. And we are going to cook them and eat them like we did with the dodo. And it's going to be fucking tragic because that, I think, is most of what we do. That's not fair because one lad will try and fuck them first. Yeah. Yeah, that'll happen first. Um, I'm going to just, my favourite explanation, um, and I actually wrote a little paragraph about this because I just wanted to get across how I felt about it so clearly. i got to say, I'm um, enjoying marking your homework this week and so far, A-plus work. <laughs> oh, thank you ever yeah. so much. Uh, my favourite solution to Fermi's Paradox, and it's probably just because I'm such a fan of dark humour, mm. you know, I love making jokes about the end times and the apocalypse and, and you really do. gods and demigods. I love it. It's, it's fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, and of course, re-education camps, I bring them up quite a bit as well. Um, you all know this from, from my monologues. Um, but one of, the, fam- one of my, the, the best theories I've heard was that there's such a short period of time between a civilization developing radio waves and, and then developing nuclear weapons. Like, if you think of the span of the human species, you've got millions of years. And mm-hmm. it's like within 30, we went from like being able to talk on radios to being able to blow up the entire planet that all these other civilizations that probably existed, they've probably just blown each other up. Yeah. I can see yeah, that. I, like, to me, that's fucking hilarious. Like, it's, it's the ultimate... Like, there's a lot of jokes in, in Shakespeare and famous literature about cosmic jokes and, and the fates and, and all that. And to me, that's the ultimate one. That there's, there's tons of creatures managing to get themselves up onto the ground, walking around, living lives, having consciousness... But we never meet any of them because we're too thick and we end up blowing each other up because we're Egypt's like. So basically the summary is we need to be better, we need to do better, we used to be fish, and now it's time to nuke Jupiter. I don't know about nuking Jupiter. I'd prefer to nuke Uranus just to get rid of those awful jokes. No. I'm I'm keeping <laughs> the, jokes keep the jokes and I'm nuking Jupiter because have you ever seen Jupiter? Have you ever bought a telescope, gone outside? Jupiter is a smug cunt. It's just a bit, I just, yeah, it's a bit dull, really, as far as planets to look at go. Like we should kill it because it's ugly. That's exactly what we should do. Again, like the dodo. Like the dodo. Yeah. I finished with one quote to sum up Fermi's paradox, and it's from Mr. Albert Einstein, and you probably heard it a few times, which mm. is, there are only two infinites, the universe and human stupidity. Isn't that the truth? It's one of the most profound things ever from a great mind who, I mean, we were talking about people who've done great things and also done shit things. He apparently was one of the first inventors of what became modern Play-Doh. Really? He used to sit That's at great. his desk and make shapes out of it. So if you're, if you're saying fair city means that we're going to downfall, think of poor Adam, Albert Einstein and his theory of relativity going by the wayside because he's too busy making a dinosaur on his desk. I mean... I would argue that, you know, he's such a great mind, he needs this little outlet for creativity, incubative thought process, blah de blah blah but I'm always yeah. going to be here to defend Einstein, I love his hair. Oh, super, I've modelled my own on it, if you can I've tell. noticed. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, so, so you went to the other side of this sort of alien question as yeah, well. Yeah, I've, I've got the reverse of it. So one thing that I just wanted to get into, like I said, I, I dug through some people's blogs and it was eye-closing, to be honest. Um, ah. And I wanted to know, what are the most common, the most commonly reported aliens? You know, when you look at these people okay. who go to conventions and whatever, what are they saying? I was abducted by what? Like, so I found out there's the reptilioids. Oh, they've made up races. They've whole races. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they cool. have like categories. Um <laughs> 
So the reptilioids, I find in no way surprising. If I was going to pretend I had been abducted by aliens, this is probably the way my imagination would take it. Which hmm. are, you know, they're like, uh, they're, you know, they're upright and they're relatively humanoid. They've got scales. They're very lizard-like. That whole thing, like the Illuminati people who live under the ground or whatever. Yeah, it's that kind of, yeah. yeah, it's that kind of energy. That one hmm. makes sense to me. Yeah. There's the Nordic aliens. And this one is intense to me because it just has such Nazi overtones. Yeah. The Nordic aliens are really, really tall and really good looking and chiseled and blonde and they have blue eyes. And they're just like your super Aryan dude bros. Okay. But apparently a lot of people are out in the world claiming, you know, I was abducted by super Aryan dude bros. Which I just I'm kind think, of just thinking there's there's a load of missing Nazis that went after the war. Maybe they just started <laughs> like breeding the master race somewhere and they kidnap experiment experimental sort of fodder, as it were. Which raises an all important question: Was Hitler abducted by aliens? You know, is that where I, all of this? Well, he might have thought they were aliens just because they were really hot blonde guys, and he was in heaven. I mean, that is exactly how it's described by people who think <laughs> they've been abducted by the Nordic aliens. So the one that I guess has stuck in my head, I don't really know where I picked up the idea of the little green men. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're all over the place. Yeah. You know what I mean by little green men, right? I think everyone does. The little green men. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Um, Joe Pesci. <laughs> right. So to this yeah. day... No one has ever claimed to be abducted by little green men. I don't know who made them up or why, but amongst like the thousands and thousands of reports and the US Air Force spent a very long time recording UFO reports and investigating yeah. UFO reports. Yeah, no one has ever said the little green men took me in the night. Uh, Fre Fred Flintstone did. Not a real person. Oh yeah, sorry, forgot about that. And then there's the prevailing one that comes up again and again and again is the greys. Oh, I've heard about the greys. Yeah, and the greys... Sasha Grey, Kendra <laughs> Grey. I know the greys. So the greys, if, if you are listening and you, like Chase, are a little bit confused, they are, it's, it's what you picture in your head when you think of an alien, you know? They've got grey skin and big heads and no eyelids and no hair. Kind of Roger from American Dad. Oh yeah, okay. The, yeah. Well, he's a little grey man, but or, yeah, okay. Or like when Mr. Burns was an alien. He was green though, wasn't he? He was green, but it's the same energy. It's the same bald, yeah. weird vibe, you know? Yeah, okay. And I really wanted to know... Where did the greys originate from? And boy, was the answer strange. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm going to tell you a little story. I'm, I'm going to take you back in time. Join me, Chase, on September 19th, 1961. Oh, but I wasn't born then. I don't know if I can make it. Just insert yourself. Just close your eyes and, you know. Um, it's, so, 1961. Hmm. Betty Hill and her husband, Barney Hill, they're driving down this scenic country road in the White Mountains in New Hampshire. They have been married for a little over a year. They've been married for like 14 months, I think. Um, uh, can you stop miming the story, please? 
You told me to insert myself. Yes, sorry. Please continue. <laughs> it's very distracting. Lovely, <laughs> but distracting. Sure. Okay, so they're driving down this country road. They have been married for a little over a year, and they've gone on a very impromptu delayed honeymoon. A belated honeymoon, I suppose. So they just they just got up they're like we are we've been so busy all the time since we got married she is a social worker and she's handling like okay. maybe a hundred child protection cases at a time for the state of new hampshire she's really just at the top of what she does and it's very stressful and he's a postal worker wow, okay. he's also a world war ii veteran okay um, none of the accounts I came across specifically mentioned what happened during World War II, whether he maybe has PTSD or lasting effects from that, but I think it's worth mentioning that he is. He's a, he's a World War II vet. He probably killed a load of Nordic aliens, actually, I'd say. God, I hope so. Um, <laughs> and they are also, bear in mind, it's 1961 America, they're also yeah. an interracial couple. <clears throat> And so, oh, that's rare. Okay, sorry. That's yeah, it's very unusual. It's ve- bear in mind this is six years before Loving v Virginia. When, when you said Barney and Betty, I pictured like the whitest of the white couples. Me like, too. I don't think I've ever, especially, and this, I, I hope this doesn't sound racist, but it's very rare you'd meet a black woman named Betty. Sorry, she's white. He's black. Oh, he's black. Barney's yeah. an even weirder name for a black guy. That's just, to me. That seems weird. That's such a white name. I don't know who named him. I I didn't look up their okay, parents. Okay. Okay. Barney and Betty White. Barney's black. Betty's white. No. 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 Betty Hill, a white woman, and yeah. her husband Barney Hill, a black. Can man. they just be Betty White and Barney White from now on? They absolutely like can't. Okay. Betty and Barney Hill. Please carry okay. on. Okay. The Hills. You know. You might know yeah. them from their eyes. <laughs> yeah. They're the Hills. Barney okay. and Betty Hill. You might know them from their eyes. They're driving <laughs> along this country road. They're on their way back from a trip to Niagara Falls. They've been married for hmm. about a year and, like I said, huge workload. So they've been on this trip. They brought their little dog with them. Now, they're both super active in their community. They're really involved in their church. They're really involved in the civil rights movement. And they're like, they're kind of perfect, you know? They're just yeah. locally, like, they're real do-gooders, go-getters. They've been described by a few different sources that I came across as, like, leaders in their community. I think a lot of people are kind of respecting them and looking up to them, whatever. Which it's I think incredible. makes the next part quite surprising. Uh-huh. They insisted that on their drive through the White Mountains, they stopped... They stopped at a diner and had coffee at around 10 p.m. And then they got back on the road. Okay. Between 10 p.m. and 10.30, they noticed a light behind the car. There's this light in the sky. And, you know, it, it almost appears to be following them. And as they kind of go back and forth, these country roads, it seems like the light is going back and forth. And it starts getting closer Try to bear in mind, it's, it's already after 10 o'clock. They're expecting to be at home in Portsmouth, New Hampshire for about 3 a.m. They've already been in the car for about three hours. There's a okay. certain degree of sleep deprivation here. So we're taking them at their word, but try to take it with a grain of salt. Um, now, here's the thing. So 
let's jump forward in time a little, because that's what they did. This light has been following them. They hear three kind of strange beeping sounds coming from the boot of their car. And they feel themselves enter a state of altered consciousness. Their words, not mine. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then they hear the same rhythmic beeping sounds coming from the boot of the car again. And they return to their usual state of consciousness, which I could make some assumptions about at this point, but I will refrain. And then they get home and they don't feel great. You know, and they realize, they kind of put the timing together. They've got memory loss. It takes them a little while to figure this out by, I suppose, checking their kitchen clock or whatever, because both of their watches have stopped and from this day on will never work again. The watches were both brought to first a jeweler and then a horologist as things went on. And nobody really knows why these watches have stopped both at the exact same time. It's really strange. But yeah, their watches never worked again. His shoes were really, really scuffed in a way that doesn't make sense for a man who's just been driving for the past umpteen hours. Yeah. Um, her dress is... it. Okay, so her dress... <laughs> this part I just hate. This is the part where I start to lose respect for poor Betty. Her dress has a little rip around the hem and a little rip around the zipper. And then she notices there's some pink powder on her dress but she just went outside and hung it out on the washing line and the pink powder blew away <laughs> again that's her story not mine okay okay yeah that's definitely not how i would respond if there's a strange possibly otherworldly substance immediately i was just you'd have away, to like, know wouldn't you yeah let's see where this takes me there are two kinds of people <laughs> this is my other theory of this as you said 10 p.m they stop at a diner for coffee right mm. What you didn't say is they didn't tip the waitress. So, it's funny you should mention the waitress, because they themselves said that like none of their family, none of their friends, no one in their community ever took issue with them being an early 60s biracial couple. Uh-huh. But the waitress in the diner reacted really poorly to it. Oh, okay. Yeah, they stopped for coffee. This waitress is like giving them the side eye, and is like, oh, I don't like that, I'm a bit racist, whatever. And they're like, oh, we don't like her, but grand, let's get back on the road. It's late and we want to get home. They're expecting to be home about 3 a.m. They've worked the next day. You know, it's a lot. So they did just they say what move time they did the get home at, actually, out of curiosity? Um, I think around 3. Okay, so they got home at roughly the same amount of time. Roughly anyway. the time that they should have gotten home, yeah. I think. I'm sticking with acid in the coffee. There you go. Yeah. Okay, so, so they're driving along. They've seen this light. And Betty, Betty spotted it first, and she thought, oh, maybe that's a star or a shooting star. You know, that's nice. But it, the more it kept moving, she pointed it out to her husband, and he said, no, it's, you know, it's just a satellite or something. Like, don't worry, forget about it. So they keep going, they keep going, until Betty remembers that her sister, a few years before, had claimed to see a flying saucer. Mm-hmm. So at that point, she got kind of excited, and she's like, oh, fuck yeah, that's what this is, clearly, you know. So they stopped the car. Betty has her binoculars to hand, of, because of course she does. Why wouldn't she? Well, she's on the lookout for the aliens now. She's ready for it. I mean, 
as far as we're aware, this is her first supposed encounter with aliens. I don't understand why they had binoculars with them. Maybe the 60s were different. There's something I don't know. But yeah, so she whips out her handy binoculars, gives them to Barney, who hops out of the car and starts, you know, looking at this object. They described it as just the way you would picture a big, flat, flying saucer. You know, it's about 20 meters wide, they reckon. So it's huge. It's rotating. It has large windows and they can see little figures Mm -hmm. in matching black or grey uniforms and hats. So we're basically (laughs) talking about sky fascists now. (laughs) You know? Sky fascists and the world of tomorrow. Um, (laughs) Yeah, the way you would picture there, I was, when you say picture a flying saucer, and this is a slight tangent, I did want to have a friend who claimed that they saw a flying saucer while stoned. Oh, no, they didn't. Well, they said they did. While stoned? Yeah, no, this is the thing. What they actually saw was me and my mate playing with a frisbee while stoned. <laughs> and they were just lying down, looking at the stars, and one from there, and they're like, oh, my God! <laughs> that's great. So that's what I'm okay. thinking. Maybe Stone's sister was throwing frisbees about the place, and that's what was going on here. Maybe. Yeah. So yeah, so they're they're here cowering beneath the gaze of a big metal pancake full of little weird fascist dudes, right? Yeah. And Barney, who at this point I need to point out, has been described by multiple sources as a reasonable and pragmatic man. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the biography for like a really horrible person, isn't it? <laughs> Donald Trump, so. a reasonable and pragmatic man. I don't think anyone has ever described Donald Trump in those terms, ever. Rudy Giuliani probably has. Oh God, probably. But by Rudy <laughs> Giuliani's standards, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, so, sure. Barney, being so reasonable and pragmatic, and being faced with a 20 metre wide alien spaceship, he does what any rational person would do, and he grabs a pistol <laughs> from his so American. I so know. American. I know. It's bringing peace and love, shoot it. (laughs) Yeah. So he walks towards the spaceship, like he's shitting himself. He's got his gun out. His binoculars have gone by the wayside, I assume. I don't really know. They weren't mentioned. Um, How do you aim with binoculars and a gun? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, sorry. Very, very carefully. Yes, yeah. And he insists that there were eight to 11 sky fascist figures in the windows of this, let's just call it a spade a spade, in this spaceship. Yeah. And the one he perceives to be their leader communicates to him that he should stop walking towards the ship with his gun out. <laughs> St- <laughs> Here, mate, still. listen, listen. I'd stop if I were you. <laughs> yeah. That, that gun thing, that shit crack. <laughs> What you're doing is just not, it's not well advised. Hey, that tickles. He's to stand still and keep looking. Mm. And that's when these bat wing fins with red lights on the end extend from either end. They describe it as either end. definitely I know, right? (laughs) They describe it as being from either end of the flying saucer, but they've also described the flying saucer as being a circle. So I don't know. From, I guess, the left and right of their perspective. I'm picturing a that. pancake, but with the strip of bacon across the side of it. And that's kind of the shape I'm getting here. <laughs> kind of. I don't think... Maybe I'm just hungry. Off. It could be that. Usually, right? Yeah. Mm. So, this dude, at this point, finally sees sense, and he runs the fuck away, right? 
Mm-hmm. Now that the aliens have told him, you have to stay still, stop pointing that fucking pistol at us. So he runs and he just, he just legs it back to the car. And he says to Betty, you know, keep, you keep an eye on the aliens and I'll drive. <laughs> and he just floors it, right? Which is completely pointless because they're being followed by aliens, not a child on a bicycle. Mm. And the next thing, that's when they hear the beeps. They hear the beeps. They enter their altered consciousness. They hear the beeps again and return to normal-ish consciousness. Yeah. And then they're at home. And that's, that's what they do remember, right? Okay. About their journey. Now, how, once they were much, at home... Yeah. Yeah. Once once they were at home, they noticed themselves having like strange urges and behaviors. The most notable of them being that Betty became obsessed with keeping their luggage, with not unpacking anything and leaving their luggage beside the back door and not wanting it to be like in the main part of their home. Right. And and Barney's unusual urge or behavior was that he just felt compelled to go to the bathroom and ins- I can't. He just felt... Take a, take a breath. Whew, he felt compelled to go to the bathroom and inspect his genitals. <laughs> Everything seems to be in order here. Which is Ooh. exactly, that was the case. Everything was in order. They seemed uh, exactly as usual. I do that five or six times a day anyway, like just to make sure. He's like, oh, they're still there? Cool. Okay, we're good. I mean, he's been sleeping in a different bed. He's been pissing in a different toilet. He needed to inspect his genitals. It happens. Yeah. Leave the man Aliens, alone. <laughs> Aliens stole the penis would be a hell of a headline to have from this one. <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be great? So another thing that seemed kind of odd to them at the time is that these shiny concentric circles had appeared on the boot of the car. Like okay. right around the source of the strange noise. There's just Because they were driving shiny... an Audi. It's quite simple. They were driving, I think, a Bel Air. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, like this happened in 61. There were slick cars back then. True. Um, so yeah, there's now these shiny concentric circles. I don't know what possessed them to place a compass on top of the circles. Like, if I go outside and I find that there's been some kind of damage to my car, I don't go, I'll check which way's north, and then I'll ring the mechanic, you know. (laughs) But that's what they did. They put a compass down on top of the circles and found, yeah, they were, like, magnetic, and the needle of the compass went absolutely crazy. So, the following day, being so reasonable and pragmatic, they call up the Air Force... And they're like, hey, you know, we've spotted a UFO in New Hampshire, whatever. The Air Force are very interested. And this, they start looking into it under Project Blue Book, which was at the time the Air Force's ongoing project where they investigated UFOs. Because they were trying to determine whether UFOs were a threat to national security. Yeah, fair. Yeah, Project Blue Book was the third in a row of such projects, and it lasted for over 10 years, and they came to no conclusions whatsoever. (laughs) And they found all of the UFO sightings that were reported to them, like none of them really had any evidence or basis. And ultimately, the Air Force determined that this story was not a threat to national security. Um. And the other people they reported it to was the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, NICAP, or NICAP. 
I was actually yeah. spelling that in my head as you said it, so thank you. Yeah, no, you're <laughs> welcome. Now, kneecap were super duper interested in these people. Bear in mind, kneecap are not a government agency or anything. They're just, like, they're a civilian organization who just look into UFO claims, and that's their thing. Oh, cool. Anyway, they start being interviewed by kneecap, and at this point, the Hills are utterly convinced that they were abducted. They're like, yeah, we were definitely aboard the ship. Nothing else makes sense. We've got this, like, two-hour gap in our memory. We don't know what happened. We don't know how we got from point A to point B. We travelled, like, over 30 miles, and we have no memory of it whatsoever. So the aliens must have picked us up and dropped us off. And Kneecap are super excited because they have tons of UFO reports, but this is their first ever abduction story. Hmm. Everyone is just into this. And also, it's the early 60s in America, so everyone was already, like, in the grips of science fiction obsession. Hmm. Like, it was a big time for sci-fi. So, this is all fine. Some time passes. And Betty starts having these really weird dreams, you know? So, she starts writing them down in her diary. And she's having dreams, obviously, about being abducted by aliens. And in her dreams, there are two, let's say, main characters amongst the, what she describes as men on board the ship. Though I should note that her husband, during an interview with Kneecap, said that they were, somehow, they were creatures, but not human creatures. Which I just, you know, like, uh, like your dog. He seems deeply confused that creatures can be not human. But you know what? I'm going to give him some slack. He's having a rough time at this period, obviously. Yeah, I'm also going to say that like, he probably wasn't going to... If they were really gorgeous, busty alien broads, he wasn't going to blurt that out in front of his missus in the news. Like. I mean, fair. Yeah. These could have been Nordic aliens, and we'll never know, <laughs> because he was scared to say it in front of Betty. Yeah. <laughs> so, there are these different characters who come up in her recurring dreams that she started writing down. One who she calls the leader, that's me, and another <laughs> who she calls the examiner. And in her dreams, she's like chatting pretty amicably with the leader. And right. he shows her a map. She asks the leader, where have you come from? And in response, the leader shows her a map of the stars, which she describes as being like a 3D hologram made of light. Okay. I don't think she used the word hologram, but she described it, you know. Certainly yeah. that way. And she also said that he gave her a, a book in an alien language and told her to take it home with her. And when she woke up, she was really disappointed to find that the book wasn't in her house. Betty, it's a dream. <laughs> and they also conducted some like very light, very tame examinations. Like they took a piece of her hair and they asked her to stick out her tongue. Nothing major. It's fine. So she's had these dreams and she's like, oh yeah, that's probably what happened. That's probably my memories coming back. She tries to discuss it with her husband and he's like, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Stop it. Like, just, just forget it. I've been yeah. crawling the walls with anxiety the entire time. I don't think this is a good story or a good experience that we had. I'm very upset about the whole thing. Drop it. Like, leave it alone. Mm -hmm. So she does for about another year. So it, we're now into November 1963. It's okay. been 14 months since they were supposedly abducted. And they decide to bring it up with some people at their church. And the people at their church, they, this whole story is so American. Um, and the people at their church put them onto this guy, Benjamin Simon. Okay. Now, <laughs> 
Great name. Now, Benjamin Simon is actually a psychiatrist and a neurologist, and he specializes in hypnosis, which bear in mind at that time, hypnosis was like a respectable field that a neurologist could specialize in for some reason. Okay. Um, And so he hypnotizes the Hills and tries to recover their lost memories. And initially they established that the two were taken aboard the ship. They were brought away into separate examination rooms. And he's hypnotizing them separately, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, Barney seems like legitimately traumatized. He's very, very upset. A lot of his sessions can't be completed because there are like tears pouring down his face while he's under hypnosis. He's having a bad time. And he just wouldn't stop talking about this disembodied pair of eyeballs being smushed up against his eyeballs. Oh my God, it's literally the hills have eyes. It's literally the hills have eyes. I got to that part and I was like, no, someone, someone on the internet is trolling me. Um, yeah, no, he, and he's constantly like, oh no, the eyes, the eyes, get your eyes away from my eyes. Because wow. yeah, he fully believes. Yeah. And eventually he remembers his skin being scraped and like a sample of skin cells being taken. Yeah. The examiner also looked into his ears, looked into his mouth And he also remembered a suction cup being placed on his genitals and a sperm sample being taken. And obviously he was anally probed because that's what aliens do. Sure. So that's Barney's reaction. He's very upset, but eventually they get this much information out of him, you know. And Betty, Betty goes the other way and Betty is into it. Yeah, she's excited about it now. You know, not 100% of the time. She definitely had some bad memories of being abducted by aliens. <laughs> but for the most part, she's really enthusiastic about the whole story. Yeah. So she gets super detailed. And most of what she says is very, very similar to the dreams she's had, but with key differences. She still maintained like that she had been shown a star map that was you know, a projection of light mm-hmm. in some way. And she drew a picture of it. Like during a therapy session, she drew this star map and she labeled what she thought were important trade routes. <laughs> I just loved it. That's where her mind immediately went to. Well, we want to make she, sure we can get plenty of cinnamon when we live on Mars. That's the main thing. Yeah. yeah. She also discussed that they did a pregnancy test on her which involved having a very, very, very large needle inserted into her stomach while she screamed in excruciating pain. But trade routes, apparently, are where it's at. I'm also just thinking these guys are super advanced holograms and shit, but their pregnancy test takes a needle to the guts. I know! That's what I thought. Like, they're travelling around in a flying saucer. They know about piss. (laughs) But anyway... So the thing that makes this story kind of important and the reason why this couple are widely credited with creating modern day UFO culture Hmm. is because of the way that they each individually described their aliens, which happened to match up perfectly, Right. which is that they're tall, they have bulbous heads, shiny black eyes, gray skin, They have no hair, no ears, no lips, no noses, but flat holes where nostrils and mouths should be. So they're like, 
relatively humanoid. They're certainly bipedal, and they are quite frankly, they're the greys. I'm seeing Voldemort when you describe that. I'm seeing Ralph Fiennes as Voldemort. That makes sense, but try to go the other way. Try to yeah. see Roger from American Dad because they completely like they came up. They came up with the greys. Yeah. And, I mean, they were likely doing so under the influence of some different but similar sci-fi imagery that they would have encountered. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there were definitely TV shows and stuff at that time that featured aliens and alien, an alien abduction. But the Hills account is pretty much stands to this day as the template for what people say when they say they've been abducted by aliens. Yeah, I like. Yeah, now I mean, the poor fellas. Yeah, are my skeptical yeah. of that? Are you skeptical of that? Deeply, and do you know who yeah. else was skeptical of that? Who? Our old pal Benjamin Simon. Oh, yeah. So ultimately, after all the hypnosis had been done, Benjamin Simon decided that Barney was probably just going along with Betty's dreams, and they they've had like nearly two years at this point in the story to chat yeah. about it at home and corroborate their story a little bit. You know? Yeah. But the other thing that Benjamin Simon concluded is he doesn't think it happened, but they clearly both do. Like, neither of them are lying. They don't show any signs of it. And he's like, you really believe this. You both really, really believe this. And this is probably something that we should, you know, try to medicate you for or whatever. And the Hills were not fine with it. They were like, no, it absolutely happened. They firmly maintained this. And they were kind of mad, actually. They're like, how dare you call us liars, you know? But, you know, the important part, I think everyone agreed, is that their anxiety was cured, Barney in particular was feeling a lot better, and they could live their lives again. Okay. And that was, that was perfectly fine. As of the spring of 1964, they were just relaxed about the whole thing. But another year later, they hadn't gone out looking for any publicity, but the story got out, some articles were printed, whatever, and the author, John G. Fuller, approached them to co-write a book about them called The Interrupted Journey. Okay. Which, I'm not going to lie, I didn't get through. I started reading it over the week, and I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Just absolutely not. I'm not reading this. Now, the next, I guess, key point in this story is that in 1969, very sadly, Barney died of a brain hemorrhage at the age of 46. Oh, yeah, which his family and friends were just absolutely shocked. There was nothing in his medical history, you know, very much like sudden adult death kind yeah, of situation. Yeah. But Betty lived well into her 80s. Okay. And until her death in 2004, she absolutely firmly maintained that all of this happened. And she featured at a lot of conventions and gatherings for alien fans. And identified herself as having always been a huge fan of science fiction and UFO stories. I'm kind of just like, if I ever make a sci-fi film, I would have loved to get someone like that to cameo in it. Wouldn't that be great? If she was in Men in Black or something, that'd be fucking amazing. Now, there were... There was an X-Files episode based on this couple. There was a straight-to-TV movie based on this couple. After the airing of... I love this. After the airing of the straight-to-TV movie about them in 1975, the Air Force noticed a 2,500% increase in 
increase in reports of UFO sightings. Because they wanted to get a fucking movie made about them. Exactly, yeah. But I don't think that was the Hill's motivation, because they were the first ones, as far as no, we know. I, 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 I'm, you know, approaching it with a very, very healthy amount of scepticism, and I'm saying, like, mm. it's probably a bit of acid. It's They were on a honeymoon, they took a few yolks, they got lost in the forest, they lost a bit of time, stole some magnets from a diner. You know, there's a lot of stuff here that I'm like... Stole some magnets from a diner. if you've ever been stolen and you play with magnets, that is a good time. Um, But I'm saying that, like, there's there's tons of stuff there that, like, it's easily, you know, explicable, really. But at the same time, what's the harm? I mean, do you you want to enjoy this or do you want me to burst the bubble? Uh, Go on, burst it. Let's hear it. Pop that pimple, baby. Mm -hmm. The people who refuted it actually came up with a couple different things that, honestly, it's explained away really, really, really well. First of all, okay, so as I mentioned earlier, Betty had just a huge workload. She's, like, at least somewhat responsible. Yeah, for like a hundred different children who are all in dodgy situations. It's it's a lot, you know? Yeah. And her husband is commuting. He drives 60 miles to work every day and 60 miles home. Jesus, okay. Yeah, so he's driving 120 miles a day, which is too much for any person. He had already been to the doctor, and the doctor had said, you know, you're too stressed. You've got stomach ulcers. You've got high blood pressure. It's, you're not doing great. <clears throat> the doctor imagined that at least some of it was down to their status as civil rights activists and an early 60s biracial couple. Um, and also just like their lifestyle was not very healthy. As such, they were incredibly sleep-deprived. Uh-huh, yeah. They're driving through the night. Um, it's a well-known fact that sleep-deprived people are very, very suggestible to false memory information. Yeah, very possible. And as if that weren't enough, during that time and that location and everything else, Saturn and Jupiter were like very prominently visible to the naked eye and there was like a local astronomy club in the white mountains at the time like oh look we can see saturn jupiter so there certainly would have been bright lights in the sky and they happened to look down and see this couple asleep at the wheel in the car (laughs) veering a little bit on the highway (laughs) honestly that's what i think happened yeah i could believe that straight away it doesn't explain the boot beeping sounds but that could just be like you know anything or even okay so they did have their little dog in the car with them, but they Bell don't the remember. Uh, not that I know of. I don't know. Okay. They don't remember the dog being on the ship. The dog never really seems to come up in the story outside of it being in the car with them. Poor Fido. Jesus. I know, the right? Crack. Yeah. So unfair. But yeah, so I reckon, you know, most likely the dog is like scritching and scratching and like whining to get out for a wee or whatever. And that's probably the noise. Yeah. So there Could you go. Could pretty well be. Um, fascinating story. Jesus, thanks for that, Emma. Mm. Um, if we may move on a little bit, just to get away from, you know, something that definitely didn't happen, but <laughs> some people think happened to themselves. Uh, I've done you a wee, a wee quiz Christofferson, a, qui- a quiz Tarrant, if you will. Hooray, let's do it. Exactly. So uh, what did we have? We did baseball players before you had for me, and then last week was... Yep. Um, cabbage Patch Doll or Porn Star. 
Yeah, that's um, that was a tough one for me personally, to be totally honest with you. This yep. one's, I, th- I think this one is quite easy because you're into sci-fi in the same way that I am. Uh, yeah. A little bit. We're into some a similar shows. You're Star Wars bit. and you're Doctor Who's and that. Yeah. So what I've done for this is I've got some planets and exoplanets. I, do you know what exoplanets are just first? No. Oh, so exoplanets are just planets that we've seen or observed outside of our solar system. Those are exoplanets, okay. whereas planets cool. are in our solar system. So I've got some names of planets or exoplanets, and some of them are real and some of them are fake. And you can tell me which ones are which. Oh, oh, this is going to go very poorly. It could go well, it could go well. Okay, you ready? I'm ready. Ross. That one's real. Ross 128 is 11 light years from our solar system. It's real, yes. Great job, Oh, mate. I'll mark your score here just to make sure, sorry. Uh, next, number two, Tea Garden. No, that's fake. It's real. Is uh, it? Tea Garden is 12 light years from our solar system, just outside in the Milky Way. Hmm. Uh, so question three, Raxacarico Fallopatorius. Oh, uh, oh, what? Raxicarico Fallopatorius. Raxicarico Fallopatorius is most assuredly fake. It is fake. Uh, it's the home planet of the Slitheen in Doctor Who. Remember the farting aliens of Crystal Rexism? Oh, yes. That's their home planet, yeah. I, I'm a uh, bit embarrassed I wouldn't have gotten it until you said the word farting. <laughs> well, they weren't really farting. It was calcium-based, but yeah, we won't yeah. get too far into yeah. the Who lore. Uh, question four, or number four, sorry. <clears throat> Anaxes. That's A-N-A-X-E-S. That's fake. It is fake. It's the first I've planet destroyed by the rise of the Empire in Star Wars. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's now been destroyed and it's become the Anaxes asteroid belt, in case you're wondering. Because they really take care of this stuff in Star Wars lore. Like, they, they know oh, yeah. every single one of them. Yeah. Uh, question five. Barnard's star. I mean, I feel like there's a dead giveaway. I'm going to say it's a fake planet because it's a star. No, it's real. Planets are all stars. Most of them. They're classified as stars, but okay. they're called Barnard's star. So Barnard's star is, a, is an exoplanet. I still feel like it's a bad name. It, it is, uh, but it's six light years from our solar system, so actually quite, it's not that far away, really, compared to a lot yeah. of the other ones. Um, Acuron LV426. That's so bad, it has to be real. It's fake. Um, oh. It's the planet where, the, um, where Sigourney Weaver finds the xenomorphs in Alien. <laughs> I've never seen Alien. I feel like that's oh. what I should have done in preparation for this. Ju- just for, for one, being a brilliant sci-fi film amazing but also too just Sigourney Weaver in, in briefs for the whole fucking thing like yowza damn oh yeah uh, question 7 61 virgins oh god I'm ooh, I'm gonna go with real it is real uh, quite, yes. a, quite far from her that's 28 light years it's quite far away uh, number 8 wolf is that it wolf just wolf? Yeah. Real. Wolf 359 is eight light years from our solar system. It's quite nearby. I'm doing way better at this than I thought I would. Y- you are doing pretty damn well, actually. Mm. i got to say, you are doing really well. Um, uh, this one's quite tricky, but Yautja Prime. So that's Y-A-U-T-J-A Prime. Yautja Prime is... Fake? It is fake. It is the home planet of Predator. 
which I also haven't seen. I feel like we need a whole other podcast where we watch movies. Oh, you've got to do that one for fuck's sake. Get to the chopper. It's amazing. Really quickly, will it do if I watch Alien vs. Predator or do I have to watch them both? Uh, Alien vs. Predator is not great. Uh, they did a second one which wasn't bad, but like the two original first films in both franchises, excellent. Forget about the rest of them. Okay, noted. Yeah. Uh, and finally, number 10, Venzenulon 9. Venzenulon 9 sounds like something so bad I could make it up, and that's why I think it's real. It's fake, uh, oh. and you're going to kick yourself. It's from season three, episode eight of Rick and Morty. What episode is it? Where they, uh, they're, it's Morty's mind blowers, and it's the scene where they're trapped, and he has to cut open his like furry animal friend and oh, sleep in the carcass yeah. for one. And he's like, "Wait, is this Vincenzo nine? To, does he? No, he goes, "Oh yeah, is this Vincenzo nine or Vincenzo on seven? After they're asleep inside the bloody thing." Yeah. <laughs> oh. So you did quite well. Let me just count this up here. One. Two, three, four, five, six, seven out of ten. It's pretty good going. Oof, that's very good. It's not it's like bad at all. I, I'm. I would say that's a B. That's a B plus yeah. even. Uh, no, I believe myself. you have some some final lovely words to take us out with. Oof. Okay. <clears throat> I I want our listeners to know that I had to ring Chase yesterday and be like, I don't know how you're going to feel about this monologue, but I'm going to deliver it anyway. So, I don't know how any of you are going to feel about this monologue. I don't feel great. But I think we've established here that people want to believe in something, you know? People like the idea of there being something out there and that they're special enough to be the ones to encounter it. And I can understand that. I'm special already, but I do still like the ideas of aliens. I like picturing a time where they someday live amongst us. (sighs) Imagine the opportunities. Aliens can teach us technologies which were only possible in the furthest reaches of the human imagination. We could double or even triple our life expectancy. And we could also have instant death beams for when we realise that's a terrible idea and no one likes being 174. And of course there's trade, minerals, food. The Earth could stand to make a lot of money from this, you know? And overall, I just, I do. I think the planet could be vastly improved in a lot of ways by intergalactic cohabitation. But what really inspires me is the more mundane view of it. I just want to come home to Johnny, my alien spouse. Obviously, that's not his given name. Glarich Flam Aegeans have incredibly complicated names. So the name Johnny was actually assigned to him at gunpoint at an immigration processing camp on the moon. But Johnny doesn't mind. He actually really likes his new Earthican name. So I would come home to Johnny as he's just about to leave for the night shift in the coal mines. But it's dark down there, so who can really tell day from night? And anyway, Glaraj Flaam Aitchens don't have permission to work in medicine, which is actually what he was doing before he came here. But he doesn't mind that either. He's very good to me. He has dinner on the table when I get in from a grueling day of work at the illegal alien detention centre. We both know that the meal is an inedible mess, but the gesture is so sweet. Our house is not large, but it is tastefully decorated. I wanted to make sure we represented Johnny's culture too. So there's a very small bowl on the hall table where I like to put my keys, and it is actually made of an alloy of metals from his planet and mine. Isn't that romantic? 
We don't have any other Glorech Flatam ancient artifacts, but I wouldn't say he minds. The kids, Sophie and George, are still at, uh, they're, they're at Space Ballet. That'll, that'll do. The kids are at Space Ballet. They were born here, of course, so we could have named them anything. But I just think it's more appropriate to give Earthican-born children Earthican names. There were protesters outside my work again today, so I think it's understandable that I'm a little frustrated. But that all fades away as I sit down at the table and I feel Johnny's gigantic, three-fingered hands wrap around my shoulders. It's good to be home. I reach up and I hold his finger in my palm. The warmth of interspecies touch is soothing to both of us in these stressful times. <laughs> a lot of people didn't want us to be together, but here we are. And before I know it, oh, I'm being caressed and fondled by those huge, weird blue hands. I sigh deeply as the mounting pressure of his fingers inching towards my nipples finally gives way to my first taste of tantalizing pleasure. I get on the table. I grab the collar of his miner's overalls and I pull him towards me. For a moment, Johnny forgets himself and he tries to speak, but I quickly press my finger to the small dangly flaps of skin either side of his mouth to silence him, and he knows what time it is. <laughs> Sorry. Without further hesitation, Johnny deflates his entire head in a sort of reverse erection until it is decidedly phallic, and then he pushes it, all of it, into my mouth. Boy, he really knows how to give it to a human. Tears are streaming down my face now as I choke on his whole head. And then my hands find a zipper on his overalls. Before you know it, I've stripped them from him. And Johnny stands before me, naked as the day they turn the fire hoses on him at immigration. And his head slowly reinflates. I love to watch his head swell up and he knows it. Using my fingers, I make a come-hither motion, and he is quick to mount me right there on the dining table where our children were born. <laughs> His action man's smooth crotch area is rubbing fervently against my human parts. Deposit your egg in me, I scream without thinking. <laughs> Racked with pleasure, and for a second I almost wish that Johnny knew any English whatsoever. He starts into that high-pitched wailing he's so fond of, so I scramble to grab the stereo remote. As David Bowie's 1972 hit, Starman, drowns out the assorted screams and screeches in the room, I arch my back and allow Johnny's once again deflated head to enter me. Writhing on the table, sweating and panting, I can feel the egg he's been growing in his head burst through the membrane and crack. We have to be quick now. I leap to grab the sperm brick from the Davenport, and I start smashing the little creatures who are now spilling out of the egg, and of me. And they're running around the dining room like an entire nest of hatchling spiders! The stench is rising from the egg, and black goo splatters onto my face. Johnny grabs my wrist in midair with the aforementioned giant blue fingers. The sperm brick is heavy, and I'm deathly aware that we're running out of time. His glazed navy eyeballs stare deep into my normal eyeballs. 
And I can feel him pleading. I understand him. We don't need language. I can see his soul and I know that he is urging me not to smash his million offspring yet again. But he doesn't know what he's not talking about. It has to be done, Johnny. I keep smashing and smashing until there's only a handful of tiny aliens left. Panickedly, Johnny scoops them up and tries to run for the back door. But this is not my first rodeo and it's certainly not my first Johnny. I hurl the brick at the small of his back and successfully rupture his brain because that's where he keeps it. And the same black goo oozes out and stains my rug as the last of the alien babies tumble out of his lifeless hand and I crush them under my very girl boss stiletto heels. (laughs) It's over. I smooth out my sensible business suit. Ashamed but satisfied, I take my keys from the alloy bowl and head out to collect Sophie and George from soccer or karate or whatever. And I know the smell will linger long after they've come home and I've cleaned up this godforsaken atrocity. So yeah, I think it'll be good for us when the aliens come. In fact, I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) Oh... Thanks so much for listening, guys. I hope you enjoyed Emma's last monologue, and we'll talk. <laughs> it's it's been fun. I'm gonna miss you, Ned. I'm not allowed back. <laughs> <laughs>